Welcome to Grace on the Go. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. This episode is a sermon from Sunday, December 4th, 2022 called, and he will be called Mighty God, given by Pastor Jonathan Dinger. The scripture passage highlighted for today's sermon comes from the book of Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Well, God's grace and his mercy and his peace are yours in Jesus Christ, our Savior. A, a quick, um, oh, a quick shout out to the folks at Grace Assisted Living and to those watching online, other nursing homes, Quail Ridge and so forth. Welcome you to worship. Delighted that you're joining us. And if you're at Grace, I'll be there at four o'clock today to bring communion to you guys. So just so we get that out there. Um, my wife's sick today. We have, um, we have tag team, we have passed the baton of illness one to the next. And please pray that she doesn't pass it back to me. That's what I'm hoping. Um, so our theme verse, it, it just I'm sure that you know this, but all the songs that we pick, Jared picks, Teresa picks, readings that Chris and I pick, all the things that we do all try to keep hitting certain notes, certain themes that we're doing on how to do this. And it ties in to the theme that we've had for the whole year from Isaiah, 53, uh, Isaiah 43. Fear not, and that's going to be our theme on Christmas Eve. Who do all the people say fear not to, right? Shepherds and Mary and Joseph. and So that's going to be Christmas Eve. Uh, instead of fear, you have good news. So that's going to be Christmas, Christmas Eve themes. But fear not is the passage. For I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, and you are mine. And so what's neat is, so far throughout the year, we've spent a good long time talking about how God, God called various people by name um, to have him serve, to have him proclaim his glories and uh, to work in his life. We've talked about that, whether it was Abraham or it was Mary, Mary the mother of Jesus, or Mary Magdalene, or um, who else did we do? Peter, Paul, different people. God called them by name. This is a little different. Chris started off last week, and I got to watch both of them last week while I was sitting home sick, and it was really neat. I loved it. I really enjoyed it, uh, that, that we have a wonderful counselor. And the counsel of a king is not advisory, right? It's a command. And yet, from our king, who is so wonderful, so full of that wonder and love, we receive those commands with joy. I really, and whether that's what you meant to say or not, that's what I heard. So thank you for that. Um, but then, so in Isaiah there, chapter 9, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulders and he will be called. So this is a little twist, isn't it? It isn't just that, that we've been called by name, but the father said to the son, I have called you by name. Here they are. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, Prince of Peace. And that's what we're doing. So next week you'll hear about the Everlasting Father. You'll hear about the Prince of Peace on the fourth Sunday in Advent. So all of those, and you can imagine, can't you? The Father, or maybe I'm suspend your disbelief for a minute. The Father speaks to the Son and says, I've called you by name. You are mine. And you are for them. And they are yours. Those for whom you've died. Those for whom you will, those who you will save. And so I want to unpack this idea of the mighty God. I liked what Pastor Simmons did last week with two ideas, really, of wonderful counselor. I'm going to do the same thing and talk about mighty God. I'll do it backwards, but we'll do mighty God. 
It's interesting. So if you love hearing Christmas carols and Christmas songs, this is buried. This idea of Jesus as mighty God is buried in lots of hymns. Let me give you some examples. I threatened to sing some. I actually broke into song on one. That was by accident. That was completely by accident. So no, I'm not doing it. So hark the herald angels sing. Um, You know, so here's the line. Christ by highest heaven adored, right? The angels were singing or whatever. Christ, the everlasting Lord, that would touch next week too, right? Everlasting Father. Late in time, behold and come, offspring of a virgin's womb. Now here's the line. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. So the author of of Hark the Herald Angels Sing, um, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Uh, Hail the incarnate deity, God in the flesh. Here's a come thou long expected Jesus. Born thy people to deliver. Born a child and yet a king. Born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring. Or, O holy night, which you know is one of those that builds and builds until, right? It goes, that's the one I started singing, didn't I? Not doing that. Uh, Fall on your knees, right? You remember that? Fall on your knees in the chorus. But then Christ is the Lord. O praise his name forever. His power and glory evermore proclaim. We three kings, as the kings come, they talk about their gifts, you know, gold and frankincense and myrrh. But then now, here's another verse in that one. Glorious now, behold him arise, king and God and sacrifice. And then a a contemporary artist, Matt Marr, who I've just, the the album, The Advent of Christmas, if you should check it out. It's just really cool. And Matt Marr is Catholic and he writes contemporary Christian music. This one, this song he has is, He Shall Reign Forevermore. And he shall reign forevermore, for unto us a child is born, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So over and over and over, we hear this about the coming Messiah, about the baby, the infant Jesus. That this is, and it's such a paradox. That's the crazy thing. I'm reading you all these lyrics to the songs, and if you're an outside observer looking at it, you're going, wait a minute. That's a peasant girl in a stable laying a newborn in a cattle trough. What's going on? Are you making this up? And so it's a paradox. In fact, I love to teach this. And if, forgive me if I've taught this to you too many times. I think it's worth reminding. We just said a creed. The, the people who wrote the creeds didn't just make it up. They took all these biblical ideas and they made a statement of faith. We have the Apostles' Creed. We use it in our baptisms. We have the Nicene Creed, especially to, con- to convey the divinity of Christ. But the Apostles' Creed, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we say something in that very first one which captures this idea of the mighty God, of, of much of what I want to share with you tonight. Because the creedal writers, and this goes back all the way to the second century, we even have elements of this in Corinthians in 1 Corinthians, of the Apostles' Creed, just like it says. So it's an ancient statement of faith, but it's bringing together what do we believe. And what do we believe about God? And so all the way in the first, in the first couple chapters of the Bible, so in Genesis chapter 1, God creates, right? It's the creation of the world. How does God do it? And God said, right? Make it so. And God said, boom, done. But in chapter 2, it's very different. In chapter 2, all of a sudden, God has planted a garden. 
He's made water run through it. He gets down on it. The image is on his hands and knees. He gathers dirt together and he starts tracing out, sculpting, forming the high point of his creation, humanity. He starts forming and shaping and then ultimately you can imagine him tracing out the nose, forming the eyes and then this very intimate moment. He gets mouth to mouth, right? He breathes into him the breath of life and it becomes a living being. So in chapter one, you have this, the almighty God. And then in chapter two, you have intimate, loving creator, father, right? Parent. And that's what we're confessing in that first statement. I believe in God, the father almighty, maker of heaven and earth. You have just said something so contradictory that nobody should believe it. That the very creator of the universe, who with a single utterance of his word, brings all things into being, and yet whose lap you can crawl up into and cry and snuggle your, she- your head tight into his chest as he envelops you in his loving arms. That's what we have. And that's what I believe is being said here in the mighty God. Because when we think of might, we think of the wrong thing. And even when we think of God, we get it wrong at times too. So bear with me here if you would. I think the the Christmas hymn authors get it very well. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Veiled in flesh. So here's the thing that I want to share with you. This tremendous paradox. I I didn't mention this one in the first one. Um, You know, our our, uh, second candle, that's the baby Jesus, by the way. You go, Amelia. (laughs) That's awesome. It's going to be great. Um, So our two candles. The second one is is love, is the idea of love. And I didn't mention this one in the first service. We don't have communion, so I can talk a little longer. um, I just watched the latest Thor movie, Love and Thunder, it's called. It's not awesome. It's whatever. You know, I think the franchise has almost run its course. But anyway, be that as it may. Love and Thunder is what it was called. The opening scene is fascinating, however, because it has like this pagan guy who worships a, a god and, and nothing goes right. Famine, death, destruction, his daughter dies. He ends up kind of in the presence of this god and essentially says, I prayed to you. I sacrificed for you. I gave my life for you and you didn't save my daughter. And the do- god essentially mocks him, laughs at him, this kind of god that he was worshiping. What do you mean? Who cares? I don't care about you. And then and, and, and in the end, this guy in a rage finds a weapon that kills the God. He becomes called a God killer. And it struck me because I said, seriously, Christianity is the only, Judeo-Christianity, the Old and New Testament, is the only one in which God loves us so desperately that God would give up everything instead of asking us to give up everything for him. And so it truly is an act of love. When we talk about mighty God, we got to get the idea of our visions of what might and power is out of our head. They're wrong. They're just wrong. So anyway, here's where we're going. The first one is, what a paradox we have of the mighty God. Number one, only God is big enough. And number two, only God is mighty enough. So let 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 me just share this with you. So I had something interesting happen to me. It started about 10 days ago, and it's just yesterday that this pain went away. I had this, so I got sick, you know, last week, and I thought, oh, no, I've got an ear infection. I had this big pain right here. 
And so I'm going, do I go to the doctor? I hate going to the doctor. Sorry, doctors. Um, I hate going. Just don't like it. You're going to tell me other yucky things that I don't want to hear and stuff like that, you know. So I got this pain. I got this big pain up here. And I'm, so finally, I do talk to my medical professional on the phone, and I go, hey, what's going on here? Do I need to come in and get checked out and this and that? And he says, no, you're grinding your teeth. So, Dr. Mooney, shall we chat afterwards? Thank you. Um, anyway, he says, you're grinding your teeth. And he, says, and he says to me, do you have much going on? I said, well, you could say that. You know, and this is the problem. I wake up three times at night. I think about the flooring in my house. I think about the subcontractor who's two weeks late. I think about all I'm doing is writing checks to people and not getting work out of them. I think about, you know, there's the trim and the paint. And how am I ever going to get the house sighted? It's always 20 degrees and blah, 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 blah. And then there's Advent and there's children's choir. And my wife is sick and it's my grandson's birthday today. And then there's other birthdays in our family. And then, oh, by the way, there's a congregation I serve and that I love to serve and on and on and on. And our school has programs and there's things happening there. And so I said, yeah, I got a couple things going on. And here's the problem. I, see if you can relate to this. I get so many things going on in my life. Now, I'm going to ask you a crazy question. How many gods do you have in your life? Because here's the problem. I find myself at times having things, and I don't want this. I'm not proud of this. I'm not loving this. I have things that seem to push God out, push God to the side, crowd him out. Other things become so big, so important, so there's no room for God left in little me. And so God gets squeezed out and squeezed out and squeezed out because all these other things are so important. And it's not like they're not important. So here's my challenge to us. This is a little bit of law, a little bit of law. Because I think, you know, we see it all throughout Israel's history too. I mean, isn't it crazy? After they had seen God send 10 plagues to Pharaoh, he had seen him open the Red Sea, they passed by on dry ground. They watched Pharaoh's armies drown in the Red Sea, in the waters of the Dread Sea. They saw God send food daily in manna and quail. They saw him bring water out of the rock. They saw his glory on the mountaintop. And they ended up putting their trust in a pile of melted down gold rings in the form of a calf. They worshipped a stinking cow. How could that? How stupid are you, Jonathan? Get it? How stupid am I? Why would I put my trust in that? Why would I let that crowd God out? Why would I do it? I don't mean to. And it's not like God is gone. It's not like I think God has abandoned me. I have chosen to push. Here's the thing. So here's what I think. No God is big enough. We need big gods. I, I love to teach this to my new member class. I can't explain the Trinity to you. I can't do it. Don't know how to do it. I can tell you that it's true because God says it to be true and Jesus walks around doing things only God can do and blah, 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 right? That kind of thing. I can tell you why it matters because your salvation is dependent upon Jesus Christ being completely God. So I know that it matters. What I can tell you is this. As I journey in my Christian journey, as God comes to me in the waters of baptism, pours out those gifts, family, forgiveness, and faith, God invites me to the altar here and he feeds me a foretaste of the heavenly banquet with his own son, 
for the forgiveness of sins, the assurance of his grace. As I hear the pastor Chris say to me, in the mercy of Almighty God, your sins are forgiven. When I hear the promises of God preached as I read them in scripture, God is longing to become big in us. Big in us. Big. Big in us. So big that it pushes out the other things. You get where I'm going? That it becomes big. Now that doesn't mean that the other things don't matter. What God is longing to do is he says, those things matter. He says, I want you to have a living nativity. That's a big thing on my mind right now. I want you to have a living nativity. I want the children to sing in children's choir. I want your wife to get better. I want you to celebrate your birthday with your grandson. I want you to spend time with Teresa, and I want you to care for these people I've called you to. I want Christmas to be the most spectacular celebration we can ever have, holding up Christ high. I want all of those things, but you can't have them if I haven't filled you up first. Because they won't be right. They'll become gods instead of me. And so what God is longing you to do is build up all those gifts in me in such a way that he says, now once we've pushed them out, I'm going to put them back in you. And you're going to do those things right. Let me give you an example. When I was early in my ministry, I've been doing this since 1995. So 27 years. I'm 27 years into being pastor. Early in my ministry, when I was young and stupid and arrogant and full of idiocy, and I would do stupid things, I would get letters from people in the congregation. I would get a letter. Some, sometimes they were anonymous. And they were the worst. Because the ones with the name... At least I had this much in me, even in my 30s. I would call them and say, could we talk? I feel bad. Can we talk and work it out? And I would apologize. We would work through things. Or they just needed to vent or whatever. But I'd get an anonymous one, and it would destroy me. Because it would tell me all the things I had done rotten, how I had offended or how I had hurt or what I had done wrong or not done. And they were anonymous. And they would, I would just be consumed by them for two weeks. And I didn't know how to fix it. You know what I do with those anonymous letters now? They go right in the garbage. Because if you don't sign your name, I can't fix it. But if you do sign it, I'll apologize and make it right. But now I don't. Why is that different? Because God's gotten bigger in me. Because before, God wasn't so big. I was big in me. And so if you criticize me, it hurt. Now you can criticize me and I feel bad and I'll try to do better, but I'm not worried about my value because of what you say about me. Because God's already said some pretty spectacular things about me. Not about Jonathan Dinger, but about me. That I matter to him and that he was willing to go to the cross. I've got value all in myself. I've done this long enough that I kind of know that I'm doing okay and I'll keep trying to do better. And I'll try to make it right, but I'll still blow it now and then. But I'm okay because God's getting bigger in me and he's pushing that other stuff out. You with me? So what we're longing for in this season of Advent is for God to get big in us. So God to get big. Second thing. God, only God, only God is mighty enough. Now when we think of might, isn't that what we think? That's what I wrote in the confession. Might means we can say something and people will do it. Or might means that we have authority or control. Might says that we, have, um, we can just kind of change things because we want to change whether anyone agrees with us or not. That's might. And that's not how God sees might. That's why I appreciated what Chris said last week. God's counsel is not advice. God commands because he loves us and because he is so good. And so... 
this might is a little bit different kind of might. I think about those gods of mine, how mighty they were. Not very mighty. Couldn't even stop an earache. In fact, it made one. It caused pain to me, my gods. It didn't solve them. And so I need a God who's mighty enough. Here's how mighty our God is. Our God is so mighty that he would entrust himself to a teenage peasant unmarried girl from a backwater town that no one knew of, a place of no renown and no repute, whose birth would cause gossip in the town for a generation, you can be sure, whose reputation would be damaged and, hurt, and she would be personally hurt in her family, whose fiancé required an angel to tell him it would be okay to take her as his wife, who had to travel 70 miles on the back of a donkey, if that's true, or walked all the way to Bethlehem, who couldn't even get a room at the Motel 6, whose birth went unnoticed by anyone except foreigners and shepherds who got a regal birth announcement. We have a God who is so mighty that he would choose to humble himself to be born as a tiny infant carried in a mother's womb held in the arms of this couple in a stable and laid in a cattle trough. We have a God who is so mighty that at, his, at the beginning of his public ministry, he would walk into the waters of baptism with sinners. That he would call the most humble of followers, fishermen, nobodies, tax collectors, who wasn't afraid to touch the leper, to embrace the Samaritan woman, to welcome in the prostitute, to cast the demons out. We have a God that mighty, a God so mighty that when he took steps to the cross, where at any moment he could have said, not worth it, not doing it. These very people are spitting in my face. They are punching me. They are destroying my body. They are hating me. And no one will stand with me that Jesus could have said, I ain't doing it, and stayed on the cross for you. That's how mighty our God is. And so we have a God out of overwhelming love. Because it's only love that would cause him to stay on that cross. Love for you and love for me. A God so mighty and so big that he is the God who's on the way. A God on the move. A God who's come for you. To him be the glory as we prepare our hearts for him to come again. Amen. If you have any questions or comments, email them to podcast at gracepocatello.org. And make sure to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on sermons and classes at Grace Lutheran Church in Pocatello, Idaho. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go.